Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. I feel like I'm going to be saying this pretty frequently on the podcast just because my Wednesday mornings typically run the exact same. So it's wake up, go to the gym, come home, have breakfast, get my heart rate down a little bit, and I'm sitting here talking to you. So same as last week. How about yourself? I'm good, man. What'd you have for breakfast? It is. That's actually all the same, too. You will learn if you listen to the podcast. I am a creature of habit. So my post-workout meal is five whole eggs and a buttered bagel. Just super simple, some carbs, some proteins. It is probably a bit heavier in fats than I'd like. Yeah, thinking five about eggs it is what, like 30 grams, 25 grams what? for the eggs. Eggs oh, have the f- five grams of fat in them. I think I want to say maybe like five or six grams of protein. I know one, like the brand that I buy, one of those numbers is six. So it's like five grams of protein, six grams of fat, or six grams of protein, five grams of fat. But it's definitely one of the two. That's what it is. The protein is a gram high. We should know what this is. But the, the protein is one gram higher than the fat. So like... Yeah, like four eggs is like 24 grams of protein and like 20 grams of fat or something. It's five grams of fat per egg. It's not so what? That's 25, 25 grams of fat. Something like that. And then I don't know if like the calorie content changes, but some of the eggs that I eat are from my girlfriend's backyard. So she has two chickens. Um, So they're just like straight from the chicken's butt. Um, So I don't know if that like increases protein like increases nutrients i'd maybe assume so but i'm not like that nitty-gritty to act to actually like sit there and do the math on that i just i know eggs are good for you i like the meal it's super easy super consistent so that's what works for me so you work out first thing in the morning or what time are your workouts usually at i guess it's noon where you're at right now right it's noon now um I do a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday split. It's a weird one, but say that again. My Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that so what I do, I'll do Wednesday. I'll do legs because I learned if I try to do legs Friday and Sunday, too it's just close. too close together, like way too close together. However, I can manage to squeeze two uppers in the same weekend. So that way I get from Wednesday up until Saturday to kind of have that as a break for my legs. Uh, As far as the timing that I go, I like to wake up. I've gone to bed at the same time for so long that I just naturally wake up around 6, 7 a.m. I eat a meal, typically something like, let's say like rice checks, for example, just kind of like an easy carb bowl of cereal settles super well. Um, And then I can be in the gym in like 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And I'm usually in the gym by, let's say, like 9, 930, and then get my day started from there. Nice. What does your so like in regards to your training, um, like how we run things in the the women's only group group coaching program, right? How I've set up their, their programming is like week one is a little bit higher or easier at a lower RPE. And we work up intensity throughout the meso cycle until week four is like the hardest and everything's basically to all out failure. And you're training um, with what you're running. Cause you're running Paragon stuff. Like you mentioned last week um, for your, your programming, is it wave and intensities like that as well? So like you have weeks that are easier and it works up to hard weeks, or is it like a pretty consistent RPE, like eight to nine every single week. And then just a deload off of the back end of that. Like what's the structure to your intensities? Like, do you have harder weeks and easier weeks? And if so, where are you at with that? Or is it different? No. So it's actually very similar to how we run the women's group coaching program. Essentially each block starts with a deload week to Mm -hmm. where it's like you're going to be going if you're looking at 
an RPE scale. And for those of you who don't know, that's rate of perceived exertion. A very simple way to kind of think about it is if I say RPE seven, that basically means like, okay, you could do three more reps and I just do 10 minus seven. Or if I'm going RPE eight, okay, 10 minus eight, two, I could do two more reps. On an, an intensity scale, I kind of convert that to like 70%, 80%, 90%. So just that way, the listeners who kind of follow RPE or percentage-based are able to kind of deduct what I'm talking about here. The deload week will typically start like five to four reps shy of failure. So that's going to be like RPE five to six, just to kind of introduce the weeks. But the main difference is, is a lot of their blocks, I believe, come in like six-week blocks. So they have another two weeks longer to kind of like test their strength and then deload. Whereas like our four blocks would be, I guess, their weeks, like two, three, four, and five. Sure. But then they do gradually increase the intensity. The one difference is they don't increase the intensity on like every single lift. So it's kind of like you might have the workout of five or six movements and week two, week three, week four, you might spend more of your energy like so solely prioritizing like these few lifts and keeping the other lifts closer to like 70, 80%, just so that way you're not going balls to the wall every single workout, maxing out every single rep. Because as we know, that's going to build quite the fatigue over time. Sure. Especially as you get more advanced too, right? Like as soon as you're getting as you get to the point where you're using a lot heavier loads um, and like are in more advanced levels of training, of training, would you consider yourself there at this point? Like, would you consider that you are at like in your own training, like you're at the advanced level? Cause I know you're quite a bit younger than me. And like, when I was at your, your point, like I thought that I was right. Like in my amount of years that I had been training, like I thought that I was there. Um, and like, as I continue to train and like, five, six, seven years down the road. Now, now I feel like I'm actually there. And when I thought that I was, I actually had further to go. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not quite sure because like when I think about it, like mentally, I know what advanced is and I wouldn't necessarily put myself in that category quite yet. But when I think about it, I've been lifting since I was 16 and for those of you who do not know me, I just turned 25 earlier earlier this month, which means I've been lifting. So nine years, that's a long time. Nine years, which yeah. I would like, if I were looking at someone's like intake form and they were like, I've been lifting, you know, from seven to 10 years plus, by that time, assuming they've stayed up to date on like research and like exercise execution and stuff like that, I would probably put them near the advanced category or at least getting close. Maybe 10 years is when I'll kind of make that transition of like, I'm advanced. I just feel like nine years is like, mm, like you're not quite there. Maybe 10 is like an even number. Now you're advanced. Sure. I would agree with that 100%. When, so in regards to your training at the moment, like, are you kind of just like, at a maintenance level in regards to nutrition, like, are you actively in a surplus pursuing, like adding more tissue or are you just trying to kind of maintain and maybe like continue to slowly add muscle tissue closer to a maintenance at a little bit of a slower pace or what does that look like? Yeah. So I know a lot of you women listening are probably going to be jealous, but I'm actually one who has to work hard to like keep my weight on. Because what happens is like when I get into my work, I'm working and I can easily work from 9, 10 a.m. until like 5 p.m. if I don't think about it. And so for me... And not eat anything? Mm -hmm, just basically, yeah, not eat a single thing. And it's like, well, shoot, I have 800 calories and it's 6 o'clock at night. So for me, at the very moment, if I just ate intuitively, I would put myself in a deficit. So for me, my goal now is actually just to make sure that I'm eating enough. If I put on weight, whatever, like I'm happy with it. I'm just working to not be in an unintentional deficit. That's my nutrition goal is at maintenance, 
maybe a little higher. It probably does vary day to day. Like I don't track my macros specifically, but like I said, with the meal earlier, I just have such similar meals day to day that even like when I do track, I know it's kind of falling in the range of like 2,500 to probably right around like 3,000 on like the good days. So 25, 24 would be like the bottom days. 3K would be like you were on top of it today, like you hit all your meals. That makes sense. I'm the opposite of that for sure. Like when I go to intuitive eating, I have to really pay attention to making sure that I don't go overboard and put myself in too high of a surplus. Cause I'm in a building phase at the moment as well. I'm way more right now than I like, I'm at the top of what I've ever weighed in my entire life sitting around like 193 ish in the mm-hmm. mornings. Um, and so like, as I started to gain, like, and I started so as I got more cognitive of, of how much I'm eating, cause when I was maintaining, I was again, just eating very intuitively, trying to maintain my weight right around like 180 to 185 ish. And as I've gotten into the build, um, I've had to make sh- like changing my mindset into building as opposed to just maintaining, I just kind of go into like eating whatever, right? Like eat, obviously prioritizing protein, but like eating more of just like out of enjoyment and not really like restricting anything. And so for me to be at maintenance still feels a little bit restrictive for me to be in a surplus is like freeing, I guess, if that makes sense, just because my hunger levels are higher. Um, but yeah, I started tracking my calories and macros for like the past couple of months, just to make sure I'm like in that range and then keeping just a few different types of food options at breakfast, few different types of food options at lunch and at dinner. And then like after tracking and getting a good understanding of like how much I need to be right around that 3000 to 3,200 calorie markers, right around like just a, a very slight surplus for me. Um, then I can kind of transition back into in eating intuitively at those calories. Cause I spent some time actually tracking with the foods that I like to incorporate on a week basis to like have that rough understanding for myself as opposed to just like kind of eating whatever because I'm bulking if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and that kind of reminds me of when I did my first show ever I believe I was 18 or 19 I think probably 19 and I used to kind of like think like oh eating 3,000 calories like isn't that hard oh the people who do like this was popular during that time was like the 10,000 calorie challenge, kind of all that, that whole era of things. Yeah. And I was like, that'd be so easy. Go to like an Italian restaurant have some pasta, go to Texas Roadhouse, have some bread rolls, come home, have some cereal. Like who couldn't, you know, I mean, I figured it'd be a challenge, but I didn't think like I couldn't do it. And so it kind of stayed in the back of my mind. And then I end up basically kind of like, I guess, forgetting about it in a way but I end up signing up for a show. And when I got my first set of calories, I think it was 3,100 to start to kind of work our way down from. And I thought like 3,100, like that's nothing. And what I quickly realized was 3,100 calories of actual nutritious food is a hell of a lot to eat. And it was things like, I mean, it had stuff like peanut butter, there was like sweet potatoes, chicken, beef, like a protein shake. And I thought like between all that, like that's not hard, but by the end of each day, and I'll never forget my like first week week or two of going to bed, I was so excited to go to bed because it meant I wasn't eating any more food for that day. And I was like, yeah, I guess 3000 for me is quite difficult to get. And given that was, I guess, six years ago now. So like my appetite has partly increased, but especially with more muscle mass, I'm sure too, as you've built more muscle, your appetite probably mm -hmm. come up a little bit, but that was a big, like, aha, like that's a lot of food when you're actually eating nutritious food. Yeah. It's all in context, right? Like it's, it's really easy to eat around 300 calories or 3000 calories. In my opinion, if you're eating a bunch of junk, Right. But like when you start filling that up with white potatoes and rice and lean proteins and add some fruits and some vegetables, like the volume gets super high. And at those higher calories as well, the fiber content will go up as well, um, which is hard on your digestive system to be able to eat that much when you're eating healthier foods. But like, so for you, let's say you get through the day and you've eaten like 800 calories um, through a work day and you look at it and you're like, oh man, I have like 
almost 2000 calories left to, to kind of try to play with. What food do you gravitate towards at that point? Like just to be able to fill, fill calories in so that if, let's say you're training the next day so that you make sure you have, um, enough fuel and you'd like to be able to optimize your training and be at optimal le- strength levels. Definitely gravitating towards lean calories or not lean calories, liquid calories at that point, just because I find it's so easy to bulk calories up at that point. And this is something that I often use with my clients when it's kind of like they're having that transition of they think they're eating this much, but then they switch to eating that same amount at like with lean nutritious foods. And they're kind of like, this is like a lot of food. How can I even meet that carb goal? Liquid calories throw some honey in your shake, throw some oats in your shake, throw some peanut butter in there, throw a scoop or two of protein. And this is like, it's not going to necessarily feel like that much more. So an example I always give is, I don't know if they're hemp hearts or hemp seeds. I find them in Walmart. You can walk through the aisles and find them and they're they're in a white and green bag, assuming they're the same nationwide. But one serving of hemp hearts that adds virtually nothing to like the bulkness of your shake. It's 10 grams of protein, 190 calories, and the rest of the nutrients or the macros comes from fats. So I don't know what the math on that is, but it's basically similar to like eggs in a way where it's like it's proteins and it's fats. And I mean, heck, two servings of that would give you, I guess the math is 380 calories for virtually adding no added fullness from your shake. Yeah. I've heard of those before. I've never had them, but I've seen people talk about them on social media and like reading some blogs and stuff back in the day. I remember talking, people talking about like using hemp hearts. If you have a, uh, low hunger levels and you need to be able to stack calories in. So, um, that makes sense, but I've, I've never tried them. My go-to is always just cereal. Like right yeah. now, <laughs> like it sounds like cereal, is that nutritious? No, but like if I get to the end of the day and I've eaten around 2000 calories or so, and I'm trying to hit closer to 3000, um, at that point for me, like as long as I've, I've gotten close to my protein goal, which I do throughout the entire day, right? Like I try to make sure that in my feedings, I'm eating like three to five times per day. And each of those meals, I'm usually getting somewhere between like 40 to 50 grams of protein essentially. So if I'm down to the end of the day and like, I know I'm training the next morning, um, it's either like a big bowl of honeycombs or a big bowl of fruity pebbles, just because for me, like I know I can digest those fast carbs like that. And even those sugars relatively fast and easily, just because I have a decent amount of muscle tissue on my body, right? Like don't have issues with insulin sensitivity or anything like that. And stacking in a bunch of carbs at nighttime. And I don't feel like this gets talked about a lot. And it it especially is true for me. Um, And there is literature on this as well. Like stacking a bunch of carbs at nighttime does actually promote better sleep in a lot of, a lot of cases. Um, Do you know the science behind that? So it's honestly, I don't know the exact science behind it, but I found it to actually have varying degrees of like efficacy for clients because some clients that high, I guess, like sugar spike right before bed can actually cause them to wake up more throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Some clients sleep better with more of like a kind of like a if you were to like add some fats, for example, or add some proteins to that meal to not have it spike so high, some yeah. clients prefer that. Um, yeah, I think it's like a specific, well, one is after a meal, like naturally you just kind of get Rest a little bit digest. tired, but I know there is certain amino acids that can also play a factor into that. I wish I could, but I cannot name those specific amino acids off the top of my head at this very moment. <laughs> I'll make that the goal for maybe next podcast, but yeah, I'm not sure on the exact science, but yeah, I just end up getting, if I do that, I end up being hot and sweaty through the night and I just find myself waking up more. So clients love it myself personally. And sounds like you or I don't like it that much, but like, if it works for you, by all means works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, should we hop into some of these questions and help some people out? I think it's about time. Let's go ahead and move on in. 
All right, number one. How long do you recommend bulking and cutting phases to last? I'll let you start. Cutting phases, I, general rule of thumb, use a rule of I do not want a client dieting for more than half the year. And so that would be basically like 24, 26 weeks of the year would be like your maximum dieting capacity. But that's also assuming that if you're going 24 weeks, you're also utilizing refeeds and diet breaks along the way. It's not like a six-month continued deficit. So that would be, I guess, part one of like this, if you want a length of time, here's the time. Now, if we're looking at other factors that you could look at, one, have you hit your goal? If you hit your goal, don't just stay in a deficit just for the sake of it. The other thing, if you're getting to the point to where biofeedback's getting worse, like continuously, not just like, oh, I didn't sleep so great this you know one week. Like if it's kind of happening multiple weeks in a row where things like sleep are off or appetite seems to be just continuously continuously dysregulated or just the things we talked about last pod last podcast moody irritable ravenously hungry like all the time if those start falling out of place then it's a sign that okay for this very given moment we should probably probably hot back up to maintenance you can continue but that comes back down to the 24 26 weeks kind of time frame I don't like to work beyond that. I'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So obvious on social media, like a lot of what I talk about is periodization with your training and your new or with your nutrition, most first and foremost, right? Like people love to get caught in staying in deficits chronically for way too long. And on the back end of that, it ends up biting them in the ass just because hormones become down, metabolic rate comes down, motivation comes down, hunger levels go sky high. And it usually makes it really hard to be able to sustain long-term. And then there's people who are just suffering to stay lean because they stay in a deficit for, for way too long and like are always there and everything's just burnt out on one end, but they stay with it just because they don't want to gain weight. And then there's other people who it burns them out to the point where they say, screw this all together. Right. And end up just eating anything and everything and blow all of that hard work and habits out the window because they can't handle the stress that the deficit has created on them. And they end up just yo-yoing back and forth. And so that's why I talk about it so much. But honestly, as I get asked the question more and more, like it's so independent of the person and their starting point. Right. So let's say I have somebody that comes to me, a lady that comes to me and she weighs 250 pounds right out of the gate. I'm not going to look at her and just say like, okay, you need to go into a deficit for six months. And then from there you need to bulk for three to six months and a deficit for six months in her situation. Like the sole goal for her health to get into a better overall place is obviously to bring body fat off of her body. Right. And so I, with somebody like that, I'm going to keep her in a deficit for as long as her body will allow until it's starting to give us some negative feedback in regards to energy, motivation, adherence, hunger levels, strength levels, um, irritability, and all of that kind of stuff. And so if I can diet her for, let's say roughly like eight months and through that whole process, she's consistently losing and her biofeedback stays okay. Well, I'm going to continue to push that needle and diet her down for as long as her body is responding to it the way that we need to. And we don't have to get her calories too low to the point to where it comes unsustainable for her. Right. And so like, I wouldn't give her a time frame saying, this is how long you can diet. And at the six months, regardless of, of what your body's telling us, we're going to bring you back up to a maintenance just because it's not good to be in a deficit for that long. So that's first and foremost. But what you have to understand is what I found at least in work with people is usually anywhere from like for people that have, let's say 50 plus pounds to lose for those types of individuals. What I found on average is that they can typically handle a diet 
for any uh, in a deficit for anywhere from let's say like six to nine months before they reach that breaking point to where it's like okay either like because one thing you have to understand the longer that you stay in a deficit and the lighter that you get the lower in calories you're ultimately going to have to keep going to keep creating that same rate of loss that you created at the beginning so let's say that she was losing um she's 250 pounds and she's losing on 1800 calories around a pound to a pound and a half a week. Well, once she's 230 pounds, she's probably not going to continue to be able to eat those 1800 calories and lose at that pound and a pound and a half per week. It might drop to half a pound to a pound per week. And so if, if she doesn't like that rate of progress, but hunger levels are still okay, we'll all decrease her calories at say to 1600 to 1700 calories to keep that rate of loss happening at the same, on the same time frame as it was before with the same level of effort there. So as you continue to decrease those calories at a point, you may end up getting down to like 14, 1500 calories for somebody. And at that point, okay, hunger is a lot higher. Um, energy is lower. Cravings are much more prominent. And so it makes sense. Okay. We need to go through a full on kind of health phase, try to bring your metabolic rate back up a little bit, focus on building muscle more at a maintenance level for at least a few months to allow yourself to rebuild motivation, to be able to come back into a deficit again, once into the future with hopefully a little bit of a stronger metabolic rate. So we can continue losing calories on, or losing weight on maybe just a little bit more calories than you're eating now and allow all of that biofeedback to get into a much better position to continue losing. So somebody in that situation, I would say, Usually you can get away with a deficit as long as you're being moderate with your deficit and not trying to go like balls to the wall and start out on super low calories because that's going to drain you out a lot faster. Anywhere from a six to month, nine month time frame, you can handle being in that deficit. And again, because you do have more body fat, right? Your body can use more energy from, from tissue to be able to function on a daily basis. But once you're somebody that's decently lean. Let's say I'm working with somebody who, a lady who's let's say 150 pounds and she wants to get down to like 135, 130 or so. In that situation, she has less body fat to work with. She's already going to have to probably be on a little bit lower calories potentially to be able to lose weight in the first place. And in that situation, I'm looking to maybe run a deficit phase for like three months or so. And once we get through that three months, if she gets to the point at the end to where maybe she has a little bit more fat that she wants to lose, like didn't quite get to where she wants to be and her biofeedback is okay. Well, I'll, I'll continue to push that deficit a little bit longer to get her to that goal. But let's say it's been three months. She's not quite there. Biofeedback is poor. Adherence is poor. Well, in that situation, then I'm going to bring her back up to a maintenance kind of regain control of the situation, regain her health, try to restore metabolic rate just a little bit, and then finish that off into the future. And so it's very, very dependent when it comes to a cutting phase, how long you should stay in that cutting phase. It's going to come down to one, what does your history look like with your nutrition? How long have you been um, like at a maintenance or not tracking and eating more food? Or have you already been in a deficit before you even came to me in the first place, right? All of this kind of comes into play to depend how long that deficit is going to last. I do think it's a good idea to give yourself a time frame. Let's say if you have a lot more weight to lose, like I mentioned before, give yourself maybe a four to six month time frame, And once you get there, assess, how is your body responding? Where is your hunger? Where is your energy? Where is your, your mood? Where is your motivation with it? If that's all tanked, it's time to take a break. If that's all going okay still, and you're still losing consistently and still motivated to keep pushing, well then continue to push until you start to see some of those signs, um, start to kind of dwindle on you a little bit. And then, you know, okay, this is my body telling me it's time to come back up in calories at that point. So that would be my take on the cutting side of it. And then on the bulking side of it, Again, this is very independent on the situation and how much body fat you're starting that bulk from, in my opinion, as well. Like if somebody comes to me and again, let's say they're that 250 pound lady and we get through the dieting phase, she's lost, let's see 30, 40 pounds, biofeedback is bad. Her bulk isn't necessarily going to be like a bulk to where we're getting in, into a surplus and really trying to optimize muscle gain because that's going to come with some body fat as well. But I'm going to put her back up to a maintenance and hopefully get her like to the very top range of her maintenance level. And she's still going to be optimized to be able to put on lean muscle tissue at that point with her nutrition. And I'll leave her there for as long as I need to until her biofeedback is in a good place to go back into a deficit. Because again, our main goal in that situation, when you have a lot more body fat that you're carrying to get you to your healthiest position 
is focusing on fat loss. So we're biasing fat loss more than we're biasing building muscle. And so we're trying to spend as much time as we can in the deficits until we get her to a body fat level that is healthy for her situation um, and minimizing the time at maintenance or in a bulks, quote unquote. Um, And we're only spending the time there to get her health back in a position so that we can get back into that deficit to get her through that that scenario as quickly as possible. But on the flip side of that as well, let's say somebody's lean, they came to me 150 pounds and we get them down to roughly, let's say 130 pounds. Now their bulk, we're going to want to try to maximize and carry that building phase on for as long as possible for, because for this individual to continue improving their body composition, they're already somewhat lean and they want more definition, more tone, quote unquote, to speak they need as much time in those building phases as possible. So we're going to try to build for as long as we can. And then as they get to a point to where maybe they, they put on a little bit more body fat, they've been in that bulk for, let's say six, nine, 12 months. Um, they, they're full, like it's hard for them to get in all of the calories. They're, they're, um, struggling to eat enough because they've been overfeeding for such a long time and they may be carrying a little bit more body fat and they're kind of unmotivated to continue bulking. They need to cycle off and see something different. Then we'll pull in a fat loss phase and run that maybe for like three-ish months, two to four months roughly um, to get some body fat back off, allow that hunger to creep back up a little bit from underfeeding for a little bit of time to be able to start maximizing that building phase once again. So I don't like putting timeframes on it. I think it's very individual to your specific situation and to where you're coming into it from and what your experience level is and what your body fat percentage is to begin. But those are kind of rough timeframes. If you're already leaner, spend as much time as you can bulking until it's hard for you to continue eating as much as you need to eat to be productive in that bulk and then take cuts. And on the flip, try to stay on a deficit for as long as possible. If you have a lot of body fat and only come up for air at maintenances when your body's telling you that you need them and then stay there until you're recovered to be able to go back into a deficit to get leaner and strip that body fat off to get to a more healthy body fat percentage. Yeah, you and I actually talked about this a little bit after last week's podcast where it's like there's just so many different ways to take these questions. Yeah. And like the best thing I think that you can take of this question is like one, there is no specific amount of time for the deficit or the building phase. It's like the main thing that you have to pay attention to is like you said, the training history, nutrition history, like where are you coming in at? Where do you want to go? And what's your biofeedback like? I did mention like the 24, 26 week thing earlier, but like your own biofeedback, your mental state, like how you're feeling, it's going to precede that versus just like, oh, well, Alex on the podcast said 24 weeks, I still have 40 more pounds to lose. Like he said, stop, just stop. It's, I try to answer these, I guess in the most like helpful way possible, but there is always going to be just, you need to take kind of control of your own situation and kind of learn to interpret your own body's data. And that's kind of like what we do is like, we have the whole picture kind of like overlooking kind of factor. And it's like, okay, here's where you want to get to. Here's where you're currently at. Here's what your body's telling you. This is the next logical step, but you can only do that if you're actually tracking these types of things and you know, where do I actually want to get to? And I think that's the kind of best way to answer it without getting into like specifics of like, well, if you're here, if you're here, if you're here, if you're there, like, here's what you do. It's just, what's your body, like, what's your body telling you? Yeah. 100%. I couldn't agree anymore. And I think that your general recommendation uh, in regards to uh, like deficit phases, six months, I think is like a good target. Right. I think that's a good guideline to kind of stick to as a general recommendation, because like I said, typically for you as well, I'm sure this is what you see, like somebody getting past that six month marker, things start to get a little hairier right? Like if you're continuing to debt to diet after six months, like that hunger's creeping up, that motivation is coming down. Adherence is getting a little bit harder. Energy is getting harder. Too is huge. Yeah. It's everything tracking fatigue. Yeah. Tracking fatigue. And so as that fatigue builds, um, we typically see around that six month marker is where it kind of hits that breaking point. All right, let's move on to question number two. Then do you have to put on a lot of fat to really benefit from a bulk? 
No. And in short answer, I don't think you should be putting on like, yes, you're going to gain fat. But if the bulk is done correctly, fat gain should be minimized throughout the bulk. And this is one reason why I do like taking my time with bulks. So instead of, let's say, taking a client whose maintenance calories are 2000 and then you bump them up to the generic kind of suggestion would be let's go 300, 500 calories above maintenance. So 23, 2500, depending on like the weight of or the gain of weight that you kind of want per week, per month on average. Now, some people might think, well, why do that for six months when I could just go 3000 or 3500 for three months? and just be able to get back to cutting that much sooner. But what ends up happening is like the more calories you eat does not just mean automatically more muscle built. There is kind of that fine line when your ability to build muscle gets essentially like maximized and any extra calories will just kind of be going towards fat gain. Essentially, I mean, I'm sure there's more to it than just like muscle or fat, but you want that fine line of like you're eating to gain muscle, but you're not adding on fat too quickly. So my kind of general rule of thumb with bulking is it's going to be long. Taking muscle or building muscle is freaking hard and you're going to have to train hard. But when you're going to do it, like you should expect, assuming you're not like a first year lifter, that you might only be putting on half a pound a pound in a month. And that's, you can go above that, maybe like 1.25, 1.5. But if you're gaining two to three pounds every single month, and then six months down the road, ending up 20 pounds heavier, I don't know if that's the exact position I'd want to put a client of mine in. So that's kind of like general thoughts, general overview of what pops into mind. Yeah, I would agree. I think what a lot of people don't understand and what I've realized over the years as well, and taking people through building phases, bulking is harder than cutting. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. Yeah. So when it comes to to building, what, what you have to realize is that like through those building phases, you're not going to look continue to look better and better the longer that you're in the build. For in a lot of scenarios, you're actually going to continue to look a little worse and a little worse and a little worse the longer that you build because you're slowly adding a little bit more body fat. And yes, you are adding more lean muscle tissue, but the definition is going away. And at least in my position, like with my own self, like I almost feel like I start to look smaller the bigger that I get and the leaner and less fat that I get, I look like bigger and more, more defined, right? I look more fit. And so going into bulks, you have to realize that it's an investment first and foremost, right? Like it's an invest, it's a long-term play to building the best body composition that you want. I made a post on this just today, I think is when it went out talking about like right now through the holiday season is the best time of the year to go into a building phase. And I, I stand 100% behind that. Every I spend kind of like the spring cutting down and I spend through the fall and the winters always building up and the summer's kind of more maintaining. But as you build, you are going to put on some body fat if you are more advanced. If you're an intermediate to advanced, I would say that you do have to accept a little bit of fat gain if you want a productive building phase to build muscle tissue, if you are more from like the beginner to intermediate stages of your lifting still, I think that you can get away with just being kind of at a roughly a maintenance level of calories overall, or potentially depending on where you're starting at body fat percentage wise in a deficit. And you only need to focus on, on building phases really for a while, because your body's going to adapt to the stimulus very, very well. You're going to be able to build without really having to go up into a surplus. But once you are more intermediate to advanced, you do have to accept that you are going to have to sacrifice maybe looking a little bit worse for an extended period of time to ultimately continue looking better 
and seeing progress. Does that mean that you have to put on a lot of fat? No, you absolutely don't have to. In my experience, when, when I allow myself to get a little bit heavier, so let's say when I'm around like 190, 185 to 195 pounds, I do feel like my body builds muscle better at that body weight than it does when I'm like in the one seventies and you can still see my six pack pretty good just because my body's more well-fed um, hormones are in a better position. Strengthen is in a much better position and I'm able to build, but that is where I look the worst, right? I have more body fat. I'm up closer to around, I, I don't know body fat percentage exactly, but I would say somewhere close to like 15% roughly without much of a six pack. Um, and so do you have to put on a lot of fat to bulk? No, you absolutely don't have to put on a lot of fat, but you do have to accept some fat gain to be able to be productive inside of those building phases. If you are more intermediate to advanced in training, meaning you've been training for, I would say roughly at least three to five years at a bare minimum. Um, and you've been doing it appropriately with focusing on progressive overload, with taking proper deloads, with handling your nutrition accordingly and, and correctly and optimizing your protein levels and being a little bit more advanced with that kind of stuff. Like once you've gone through that process and been consistent for those three to five years, you are going to have to set, accept a little bit of fat gain to continue seeing progress over the long term. And I have a, a client that I'm working with right now who um, is a personal trainer um, as well, and she knows how to cut. And she knows how to bulk. Like she, she's very experienced in doing all of this for herself. But her big thing is every time she goes into a building phase and she sees the scale go up a little bit, she kind of freaks out and like just, just gets out of the bulk really quick because he gets into her head mentally. And so she hired me because the first or the end of this year, right? It's getting colder outside. We're not in bathing suits. You're not going to swimming pool pools. You're not at the lakes. Like your body's not really being seen just because it is colder. And we're going into the holidays with a lot more, um, just gatherings and a lot less structure. Maybe you have travel, you're going to be around family a lot more, not quite as in control of your food environment. So like I said, now is the perfect time to do so. So she, she hired me to basically hold her accountable through the building phase and almost just reassure her on a weekly basis, what she is doing is correct. And so we set her up with a five month, month bulk essentially to where from the beginning of October through March, we're in a building phase. And then from April to May, we're going to go through a cutting phase. And it is tough mentally each week. I am reassuring her like you're not building gaining as much body fat as you think you are, right? Just because you gained a, a pound this last month, you didn't gain a pound of body fat. You probably gained like a half a pound of, of muscle and maybe a half a pound of fat. But as you continue to stack that up, if you put on five, six pounds of muscle over these next four months, and let's say you gain five, six pounds of body fat, well, we can strip that body fat off in the matter of four to six weeks, even if we need to right? In that situation so that you're leaner again, have that added lean muscle definition on your frame. So long-term you ultimately continue to look better, but you made that short-term investment of looking a little bit worse and training harder to put yourself in that position to reap the benefits from it long-term. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually crazy. The amount of people that come in, like looking for coaching who have been told their entire life that like the deficit's going to be the key to achieving their goal physique. Mm -hmm. When I would actually argue that a lot of the people coming in, like, yes, body fat does need to drop, but we would actually benefit so much more from starting you closer to maintenance. Cause this is like the prime time to one actually like put on some muscle on your frame. Like if you've been trying to diet for the last five to 10 years, like odds are you, like, yes, you have muscle, but you've probably also lost a bit of muscle over those years of just repeated yo-yo diets. And a lot of people coming in would actually just benefit from, like I said, eating that increased amount of calories, building some muscle tissue, adding onto their frame, providing that shape, that structure, that tone, whatever you want to call it. So when they diet down, they actually have something to show they have that tricep definition they have the shoulder outline they have the lifted glutes whatever it is you're after you need muscle for that so if you're always trying to diet 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 i would tell you like 
spend some time actually at main at maintenance or in a bulk, and you're probably gonna like where you end up a lot more than if you try to diet, 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 diet. And I know that wasn't the question, but I just wanted to add that in there while we were on the topic. No, I think that that's a great point as well, right? Like people want to come in and they think that they're going to achieve. So I did a post a, a while back kind of showing like my starting position and then where I've ultimately gotten to with my body composition. And and there's a drastic difference there, like much more muscle, much leaner, look much better. But people think like they can come into a process and after six months of like going into a diet that they're and being in a deficit that they're ultimately going to get to like that end goal of that like super fit body, right? When in reality, there are phases, just as you said, right? Like coming in and focusing maybe your first three to four months on building your foundation, building lean muscle tissue, not really focused. And it's hard because you come in and you start putting an effort. We're so programmed to want to see a result right then and there from the work that we're putting in, as opposed to looking at it from phases. Okay. This first phase, I'm going to focus on building muscle, laying my foundation, getting stronger, fueling myself adequately, getting consistent with my protein levels that I need to be hitting on a daily basis, hitting my activity levels in regards to my step goal, really getting the form down in my training, making sure I'm training with the proper intensity and pushing myself in those sessions. So I'm creating the, um, most efficiency that I can in my training and having those effective reps in each set that I'm doing near failure, when you spend three to four, three to six months, just focusing on that, you've built such a solid foundation that you can then spend the next three to six months getting lean down to where you want to be. And you're actually going to look so much better at that end result. than you are just coming in and say, I want to lose fat. I want to be defined. I want to look tone quote unquote right now. Well, you can get lean, but you're not going to have as much of that definition that you're hoping if you would just take a little bit of time initially to focus on building the foundation and then moving into seeing kind of what that final result is. And then I'd even argue at that point, like if you go through the build and you say you give yourself three to six months, then you go through the cut. Well, then like fitness and continuing to improve your body composition is just rinsing and repeating that process over and over until you get to a point to where I really like where my body composition is at now. Now I can just kind of focus on maintaining this over the long term if that's what you choose to do. Bingo. So I think yeah. I think that's all I have on that kind of topic that pops into mind for now. Okay. Number three, how do you determine how many steps you need and how much cardio to do while in a deficit? It's a really common question, right? Like people give you, okay, like what's my step goal? Um, then how much cardio should I do on top of my step goal? And it just gets like confusing. Like what the hell am I supposed to be focused on? I like to think of not a set guideline for each client. Like everybody should be walking 8,000 steps. I think it'd be great if everyone could, but it's also important to look at where are you starting your journey? So if someone comes in and is averaging 2,000 steps a day versus someone who is doing 12K steps a day, if I tell them both to aim for 8K every single day, well, one would actually be going backwards. The other one may th think that like, oh, going from 2K to 8K is like way too much. Like they're going to end up in two totally different positions. So my question to you would be, one, where are you starting? And two, what can you add to your plate that's actually achievable and maintainable? So if that means going from 2K to 4K, then start there. And what you don't want to do, especially like cardio-wise, is think that more is always going to be better. So essentially, I think all but one of my clients has specific programmed cardio. And the reason being is they come in and like by hitting their step goal, they're being active. Some choose to do it at the gym on the treadmill. Some choose to do it walking their dog. Some people get it just from working night shift at the hospital or just being outside, just, you know, physically active. And so what's going to give you enough to see a result and start there. If you're seeing results there, keep at it. 
And then how do you know if you want to add more? Like, have you plateaued? And I mean, this could go so many different ways, but use it as a tool, but not the only tool. So I, I may, for example, move someone's step below up one week, like next quote unquote, like plateau, I may make a nutrition adjustment. Then otherwise I may make like a training adjustment. Like there's just so many different kind of pathways you can go down. So I think it's just where are you starting minimum effective dose? What's enough to kind of get your results without being unsustainable? Start there. And then kind of from there, it's just where are you at in your journey? Like what does your lifestyle look like and what's going to be the most effective change for you? And that could be, like I said, one of 20 different things that we're looking at. Yeah, I would agree. I think people get confused between like, okay, you set a step goal for me, or this is how many, or you recommend that I should get 8,000 steps per day. And then on top of that, like you see people, okay, well, you've got to do cardio if you're trying to lose fat as well. So you need to hit your 8,000 steps. But then like, what do I do for cardio? Do I add in a HIIT workout? Do I go to a, a spin class? Do I do group? Like what do I need on the cardio side of it? And it just turns into like this confusing like how, what, what is this supposed to look like? Right. And when in reality, it's very simple. There's just people looking at it from different perspectives, how I program it very similar to Alex is we just focus on a step goal. We don't actually add in any cardio that's like dedicated, like hit or running or jogging. If I have clients that prefer to do those things. And they're like, Hey, I really love to go for jogs or I really love to go for runs or whatever it is. Then we'll incorporate those. But just from a general fat loss perspective, we're not like, this is how much cardio you need to do in regards to like getting your heart rate up and running or jogging or spinning. Um, we're just focused on, Hey, we need you to roughly start trying to aim for this set step goal. And again, like if I have a client that isn't getting a lot of steps when they first come in, let's say they're getting 2000 steps per day, I'm going to set their step goal at first at maybe 5,000 steps per day and just try to get them like to do a dedicated, let's say 20 minutes of walking per day to increase that step goal. So their cardio is, is quote unquote, let's say 20 minutes of cardio, but it's just, we're only focused on the step goal of 5,000. Let's say that they went to Disneyland for the day and they got those, I mean, they're going to get way more than 5,000 steps at Disneyland. I just took my girls there and we're getting like 25,000 steps a day. But let's say we, she went to Disneyland and she got those 5,000 steps in for the day. Well, that doesn't mean she needs to go home and still do 20 more dedicated minutes of cardio. No, she hit the step goal because the step goal is what's going to keep the metabolic rate consistent in the long run, if that makes sense. So let's say that your step goal that you're trying to hit is 10,000 steps per day. You go for a run or jog. Well, that attributes to your overall step goal for the day um, that you're trying to achieve. So this can get confusing for people, but really just focus on your steps. If you want to do dedicated cardio, just count that cardio towards your steps. And as long as you're hitting roughly the same amount of steps on a daily basis, that's what's going to keep your metabolic rate consistent. And as long as your caloric intake is on point and you're losing and if you're losing consistently while keeping your step goal, let's say at 8,000 steps per day, calories are here. If you're losing and you run into a plateau, well, now you have a choice. Do you want to decrease your calories a little bit to create a deeper deficit? Or do you want to increase your steps, which is going to lead to you burning more calories to be able to create a deeper deficit? And you just play that game back and forth. So you continue to increase steps or you continue to decrease calories as you hit plateaus over the long term to continue seeing progress until you get to the point to where, hey, like I'm getting in a lot of steps. My calories are quite low. At this point, maybe you've plateaued again. Now it's time to break from the deficit and potentially come back up to a maintenance to allow yourself to recover and establish a little bit of a better baseline to be able to go back into that deficit again in the future. So as just a very general guideline, start out with your deficit of calories, obviously, and then set a step goal somewhere in the vicinity of seven to 10,000 steps per day that you're trying to hit track those and stay consistent with the two. And as you plateau, either decrease in calories or increase in steps and to create that deeper deficit to continue seeing progress over the long run. Yeah. Main thing I'd say is definitely just don't overthink it. Yeah. I've had a lot of questions yeah. of, well, you have this 8,000 step goal. So does the treadmill count towards that like step goal? Or is it like, does that count yeah. as cardio? It's like, if you're thinking that deep into it, 
you're thinking too hard about it. Like yeah. there's bigger pieces to focus on and like that shouldn't be the main focus. So what, like what you call your cardio, it's kind of like the whole like that's an RDL. No, that's a stiff leg deadlift. It's like I don't care what you call it. One, one it. straight leg, one's bent leg, whatever you call it. Like just do the movement and train it hard. Yeah. So what, that kind of same thing applies. Yeah. 100%. It, it's just, it's overcomplicated. Just focus on the steps, how you achieve those steps. Feel free. If that's running, if that's jogging, if that's walking, like I, I put up a, a post a while ago that said like, you can run a mile or you can walk a mile. The caloric burn of those two is going to be almost the same. Just one takes longer than the other one. So you know what I mean? And people kind of freaked out at that as well. Like, no, if you run a while mile, you're going to burn way more calories than, than walking a mile. But from the literature, like I've looked through it, um, it is essentially the same. You'll burn maybe a little bit more from the higher heart rate from the running, but it is almost the exact same at the end of the day. And the running versus the walking, the steps for that mile, it's going to be the same amount of steps regardless. And so get the steps, however you choose to get them that works best with your experience level, what you enjoy the most and just stay consistent with it and adjust them accordingly as you proceed through fat loss to be able to burn more calories over time if you need to, to keep that metabolic rate consistent um, so that you can continue to progress if you run into any plateaus. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of like summarize, find your deficit, start there, find a step goal that's attainable for you, something a bit more than what you're doing now, maybe add two, three, 4,000 on top of that see your first bit of results, see kind of when that trend starts to kind of slow down. And that may not always be scale related. You could also be seeing progress measurement wise, progress picture wise. So make sure you're, you're utilizing all those and just go from there. Increase cardio or steps, decrease food, alter between the two, make sure you're kind of managing that balance. And that's really just kind of like a, it is simplified, but that is like the general idea behind it. Yeah, that's the whole idea behind it. If you can yeah. get very consistent with what Alex just said, you will see really good progress over the long term. You will run into encounter plateaus because everybody does, but understanding like being on track and consistent with your step goal, you can raise that if you need to, or you can decrease in calories, whichever works best for your lifestyle to be able to be more adherent to over the long term. Mm -hmm. All right, where are we at time ways? Do we want to hop into one more question? We chatted for a little bit. I know we started around like noon. I figured maybe we we talked for like five, 10 minutes. So maybe we are an hour in. I'm not 100% positive. Okay. I think Podcast we are. listeners, maybe you could tell us, but I guess you aren't <laughs> listening live. So, right. So let's just, um, let's cut it off there for this week. Alex, where can people find you if they want to be able to see you on social media, all that good stuff? Instagram is Alex Johansson or Alex underscore Johansson. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel of last week. So I'll just say Chaz will have it linked in the podcast notes and it'll just take you directly to my profile. But Instagram is definitely like the most active on my platforms. Absolutely. And on here. Yeah. I'll absolutely link that down below for you guys. So if you want to follow along to Alex, um, you absolutely can. And then again, as for if you have any questions from the podcast episode, if we went over anything that you're still kind of confused on, or you have something for your particular situation, there's always a link down below that um, is a place where you guys can go to ask questions. It's lostandlifting.com backslash podcast. You'll go to that page. It's linked down below. Like I mentioned, scroll to the bottom and there's a question box there to where you can ask your personal questions for your situation or anything that you might be confused on that we went over here. And I'll always get back to those questions to you guys personally via email. And if I feel like they're um, applicable to a, a general mass of people, I'll bring some of those questions onto the podcast and we'll answer those here for you as well. And then last but not least, um, in regards to the only thing that we ask you guys for the podcast, we don't do any um, sort of having people pay us to be able to do brand deals on here or anything. We don't do commercials. We're not sponsored by anybody or anything like that. All that we ask from you guys is that you'll just leave us a rating and review down below, um, whatever star rating you choose. And then if you can leave a written review, that just helps the podcast be able to push out to more people in the podcast algorithm. That's how podcasts are pushed is by how many ratings and reviews you're getting over time. So if you could do that, we'd be greatly appreciative. We are doing a giveaway 
for the written review. So if you leave a written review, you'll go into a, a drawing to be able to potentially win some free loss lifting merch in regards to t-shirts, shaker cups, stickers, all that fun stuff. So again, we really appreciate you all. Hope you have an amazing day and we'll chat with you soon.